You are listening to the Woman in the Word podcast. As always, I hope that you enjoy and I pray that this talk blesses you. Speak soon. Hello everyone and welcome to the Woman and the Word podcast. My name is Briantonia and this is episode 5. So today's podcast is recorded with an extremely heavy heart. Um, It brings me absolutely no joy to share the episode title with you. But despite how it feels, I know this is an extremely necessary discussion. So today's episode is called, and we will be discussing, Racism and Christianity. This is such a huge topic and there's no way I'd be able to cover it all in one episode. So for today, I'm going to lightly explore the reality of racism and the urgent and necessary need we have as Christians to speak up and speak out about it. This is an extremely sensitive topic and I know that emotions are high right now, my own included. So here are a few disclaimers before we begin, just so there can be some grace and understanding. Number one, these are my opinions. So while a lot of what I'm saying has been researched, I have of course gathered information to form and support my own opinions and arguments. It's by no means the full picture. Please feel free to disagree. In fact, I welcome it. Number two, I don't know everything. So yes, I am a black woman who has experienced racism and social injustice, but I cannot and will not speak for the entire black community or for everyone in general. Number three, racism isn't only black and white. Um, I will most likely use black and white examples, but I am aware that racism is nuanced and comes in so many different forms. I'm not ignoring any of those experiences. They are completely valid, but I'm just going to speak to the ones that I've been privy to. And number four, my goal is to be reconciled. I want everyone to know that I am not sharing or saying anything in this podcast to be divisive. Instead, I'm speaking on these things to shed light on a very real existing issue in society. So let's start the conversation so that we can end it the way we want to end it. And as Christians, I hope that, you know, that means we'll end it in a way that looks and feels like Christ. Okay, let's begin. So let's start off with what racism is. When we define racism, we often limit it to prejudice and discrimination, which it includes, but it's so much deeper than that. Yes, you can have prejudice towards someone based on their race. An example would be someone looking at two men, one white, one black, and that person thinking, ah, the black man's a criminal out of the two. That's someone showing their prejudice against black men, right, based on their race. Oftentimes, prejudice is an, it's an internal experience. Yes, you can also show discrimination against someone based on their race, which is your prejudice acted out normally. So discrimination is the act of making a distinction in favour or against a group of people. And discrimination as we know and use it is usually a distinction against a group of people, right? We see it as a negative, which I guess in turn is that's in favor of another group of people so segregation was a form of discrimination making black people enter buildings through different doors making black people drink from different water fountains that's discrimination racism as a whole in its fullest ugliest magnitude is systemic so while we do include and acknowledge prejudice and discrimination in racism's definition Racism as a whole, in its fullest, ugliest magnitude, is systemic. It's institutional. 
see the examples that I gave above are individual experiences. So one person may do these things while another person of the exact same race may not. But aside from all of these individual decisions and acts of racial prejudice and racial discrimination, racism operates and is built into societal and political systems like healthcare, education, employment, criminal justice, everything. Okay, these systems are built to keep groups of people down. That's how they they function. So even if you, on an individual level, are not actively racist, the systems in our society still disproportionately harm people of certain races. This is why you'll hear people say to the white community, no, we can't really be racist to you. Yes, we can be discriminative. Yes, we can show our prejudice um, towards you based on race. But in order to be racist, there's a level of power and advantage that you need that no one else really has apart from the white community. So white people are miles ahead of every community in terms of that leverage and that privilege. So far so that even if there is a white family, let's say, that's impoverished, there is still nothing in this world and in this system that will hold them back because of their race. They may not be in a certain environment to get a specific job or, you know, they may not be able to get certain opportunities because of their poverty, of course, but it would never be because of the colour of their skin. And that is part of the white privilege that you often hear and that we speak of. So why is it so important that we define what racism is? It's important to me to define racism before we get into, you know, Christianity and how Christians should respond because I think we need to be honest about the severity of the problem. And I believe that the gravity of our solutions need to weigh up to the gravity of the problem. As long as we make racism a small deal, we'll only ever offer small solutions. So I wanted to start off by defining racism so we can understand the need to address and stop it, especially as Christians. Now that we've defined racism, I want us to look at Christianity. I want us to look at the word of God and I want to discuss ways that I believe we should and shouldn't use it. Right now, I'm going to begin by how we shouldn't use the word of God when dealing with racism. So what is that? I believe that we should not respond to victims of racism by saying we are all one in Christ. Although we know the sentiment is not only beautiful, but it is true and reassuring, when it's brought up in a conversation about racism, it sounds like an easy way to dismiss the very real and painful experiences that people have gone through. As a black woman, I hear that comment and I hear someone who doesn't care to address my trauma. I hear someone who would rather glaze over an ugly reality with a more comfortable spiritual ideal. A spiritual ideal that is true, yes, but it's not a worldly reality. It's not a reality right now. So I'm going to read the scripture that tells us this. It's Galatians 3, 28, and it reads, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So number one, what a beautiful verse. Like I said before, this truth is reassuring. What a stunning depiction of the body of Christ. I, I love that verse. It's, it's gorgeous. And to be honest, the whole of, um, well, Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 29 as a whole it speaks to the reality that when clothed in and with Christ, when we are his, everything else about us doesn't even matter. We are all one. And that for me is truly beautiful in that specific context. <laughs> in the specific context of Christ, 
yes, of course it doesn't matter what our ethnic identity is. Of course it doesn't matter about gender, age, anything. We're one in Christ. We're seen as one with the one body, the bride. But we also know that here on earth, in this fallen, sinful, wicked world, not everyone looks at us through that lens. We know that. And I find it incredibly dangerous to twist this verse like that to solve someone's pain when it really can't be applied. Yes, Christ sees us as one. Yes, we are all one in him, but the world isn't Christ. So while we believe that Galatians 3.28 is true and while we live by it ourselves, we also need to address the reality of flawed worldly human beings having worldly racist views (laughs) and then we need to address the reality that these same flawed worldly views have formed systems that perpetuate these worldly views okay so there's personal worldly views that we need to address and then there's the systems that we need to address as well so just to make this personal I spoke up about the need to address racism and Galatians 3 verse 28 was said as a response to me And I was so incredibly hurt and angry. But I also thought, okay, you're saying that to me because I'm a Christian. What does this verse mean to someone who doesn't believe in God? What does this mean to a victim of racism who is yet to know the Lord? Similarly, what does this verse mean to the racist who doesn't know the Lord? You know, absolutely nothing. So for me, that just shows how trying to use this verse in this context is flawed and it's just, it's dangerous, I think. What us believers should do instead is, yes, we need to believe it in us, in ourselves and in our hearts, but we're meant to show our belief in this verse through our actions. And our actions should be to fight against racism, to listen and believe the victims and to confront racists and racist systems that should be our action. That verse should be motivation for us to fight against racism because we know that yes, race doesn't matter in the end, but let's work towards making people think the same. And something that I that I really want people to understand is that race is not a factor in Christ, but right now on earth, race is the difference between life and death. Race blackness for George Floyd was the difference between life and death so again we as Christians should take this verse and this whole mentality and use it to push us towards fighting against racism not to comfort someone because it actually isn't comforting when it was said to me it wasn't comforting instead we should use it to confront racism because we know the truth we know that we're actually one in Christ and therefore race should not be given the weight and significance that we give it we should use that understanding and that truth to fight against racism. And the final note before before I move on, I also don't think Christians should dilute the conversation for the sake of peace. This is an uncomfortable discussion. Deal with it. Let's be real. Let's be explicit about what this is. I haven't watched um, the clip in its entirety, so I can't fully comment on everything. But just hearing a Christian leader attempt to rebrand white privilege and change it to white blessings no (laughs) no let's not dilute a message to appease people's egos or pander to their ignorance i never saw my savior jesus christ do that so why as christians should we
Next, I wanted to see what some churches were saying online and I looked at two denominations that are personal to me. So the first I looked at was the Methodist Church. My family are Methodists. And the second was the Baptist Union because I'm, I'm a Baptist now. So this was a statement that I found against racism that the Methodist Church released back in 1978. And it's one that they say they still stand by today. And it reads, Racism is a sin and contrary to the imperatives of the gospel. Biblically, it is against all that we perceive of the unmotivated, spontaneous and undiscriminating love of God, who in Jesus Christ gave himself for all. We submit that racism exists overtly and covertly in our country, of which the Methodist Church is a part. It is of vital importance that the church should give an unmistakably clear lead as to where it stands in this matter. Now, I can't personally attest to whether or not the Methodist Church has kept to these sentiments, but let me tell you what I do love about this statement. I love that they simply call it for what it is. They call it out as sin. That's the first thing that we as Christians should recognise. Racism is a sin. It's not okay. It's not how we should conduct ourselves and it's not how Christians should accept other people conducting themselves as it pertains to the oppressed, to the, to the weak, to the needy. Okay, these are descriptions that are used throughout scripture. Isaiah 117 says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Proverbs 31 verses 8 to 9 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. So if the Bible is telling us to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, then clearly it's highlighting that whoever is silencing these people, whoever is stopping the person from speaking, is wrong. And if the Bible tells us to defend the rights of the poor and needy, then clearly whoever is impeding and infringing the rights of the poor and needy are wrong. So why are some of us so comfortable not getting involved in discussions about racism? Why are we not taking up our call to defend? I've been, um, I've been studying Esther recently and while studying her life and her story, I see how important prayer and fasting is, was for her but is, but I also recognised for the first time that her intercession included prayer, fasting and action. And it honestly, it called me higher. It made me look at myself and say, OK, Brie, yes, you should, you should start every response in prayer every time. But then what? Then what is God telling me? And I want to encourage everyone to do the same. What is God telling you after prayer? Is there an action attached to that prayer? Is there an action that God's given you? Because the instructions in Isaiah 117 and Proverbs 31, 8 to 9, they are calls to action. They are instructions on how to act. I am a prayer warrior. I love prayer. I know how powerful it is. And I know that God works so powerfully in our stillness. But I also know how powerfully God moves in our actions too. And I can't help but think that the Christian fight against racism is one that requires prayer and action. Prayer first by all means, always, but action too. I want to look at what the Baptist Union says as well. So this is an extract from their website and it reads, the authentic response of a people who follow a God who delights in justice and righteousness is to stand together in solidarity and protest in the face of such insidious evil. 
The death of George Floyd must also drive us to some serious heart searching of our own. Right now, God is presenting us with the opportunity to grow more deeply in this value and in doing so to unleash a prophetic call and presence in our communities and nations. Now, this one spoke to me. To be honest, the Baptist Union have some incredible articles on racism, um, the murder of George Floyd, the protests, everything. You know, they have some really good, sound, honest Christian commentary. So I definitely recommend. But this this statement spoke to me because I want to highlight a word that they used, which is opportunity. Because that's my biggest heartache over this whole thing. And that's my biggest heartache over how some Christians and churches have responded to the racism we've seen globally this past month. It's sending out the wrong message. If we don't listen to the things people are going through, if we don't call it for what it is and deal with the reality of the ugliness this world exudes, then we're not accurately representing how crucial, uh, how necessary and how timely the Bible and our God is. Let me remix and reword. <laughs> if we as Christians don't listen and deal with the realities of injustice in this world, then we're basically sending out the message that God is not a crucial necessity that we need in these times. If we're not getting involved in the conversation, then we're basically saying, hey, we don't need to. It's not on our radar. It's not important to us. And that means it's not important to God, which is a lie. That's not true. From my experience, the church has often been deemed outdated. We all know that there's this false narrative around that things of God somehow don't fit into modern culture. By the church ignoring this current act of racism, they are perpetuating this false narrative. They are silently agreeing that there's no room for the gospel of Christ to speak on and influence current affairs. When in fact, in fact, the principles of God and his gospel are exactly what the world needs right now. Justice, reconciliation, redemption, unity, forgiveness. This is exactly what is needed. The gospel of Christ is exactly what is needed right now. So that's my biggest heartache. You know, secular environments are offering more support and are willing to be more of a refuge than the house of God. And it hurts me as a black woman, it hurts me. And I know that we're better than that. I know that the body of Christ is better than that. I know what we as the church have to offer when it comes to healing. You know, I've had too much of a work begin in me to ever diminish how amazing the body of Christ is. We have Christ living in us. We are capable of doing this, but we've got to own up to it. We've got to see it for what it is and we've got to talk about it. Honestly, if we can't take moments like these to practice our Christian values and help communities of people who are being oppressed, then what use is it getting the kids at Sunday school to reenact the Good Samaritan? What good is it when our behaviour is that of the priest and the Levite? Passing by, walking on the other side of the road, not wanting to get our hands dirty, not wanting to get involved, it's embarrassing. And more importantly, it's disobedience. We are called higher than that. So let's be about it. Now, before we close, I want to look at some more scripture for some of the opinions that I've shared today. So let's look at what the word says and what we can take from it as believers who are against the oppression of any part of God's creation. So Psalm 82 verse 2 says, How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? When I read this verse, I'm reminded of a saying that I've seen on quite a few protest signs and I've seen it a lot on social media as well, which is, Silence is complicity. 
many will say, oh, hey, I'm not racist. I don't agree with them. But that will be the beginning and end of their involvement in this conversation. <laughs> That'll be it. Yes, you may not be outwardly promoting racism, but your inactivity to dismantle it is enabling it to continue. Another saying I've seen, which I like, is it's not enough to not be racist. We all have to be anti-racist. So we, we need to all be fully against it. Jesus speaks so clearly about being hot and cold. And I believe that believers should carry this principle out in every area of our lives. So let's be hot about the values and the precepts of God. And I believe that that includes equality. Zechariah 7 verse 10 says, Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. This one is really simple. I mean, if the Bible explicitly says not to oppress, then as believers, we should speak up and call out sin when we see it take place. You know, we've been far too vocal with other sins as if there's some sort of sin hierarchy, which we know biblically there is not. So <laughs> I need all that energy that we give to premarital sex. Yeah, I'm going to need it for racism too. OK, so I guess in conclusion, I'm just trying to call my fellow believers higher. I love the body of Christ. I love being a Christian. I love being a disciple of Christ. So it hurts me. It hurts me, especially as a black woman, to see brothers and sisters in Christ look away when I'm in pain, when my people are traumatized and affected, when my community is being oppressed systematically. It hurts me um, that some places of worship haven't opened up their arms as a place of refuge for my pain and trauma. And I know that I'm not the only one, which makes me sad. So um, additionally, as well, this is called me hire. Like, this has made me look inwardly and say, OK, Brie, what are you doing when other atrocities take place to other groups of people? You know, I want to make sure that I, as a Christian, am being an ambassador for Christ and being there for them, being a good Samaritan. This whole experience has made me look at myself and, and make sure that I'm speaking up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And that ultimately, I am ensuring that through me, those who are oppressed feel, see and truly experience the love of Christ because that's who and what it's all about. Thank you so much for listening. I know this is a huge topic and I barely even scratched the surface, <laughs> but I wanted to start this conversation and dialogue because I, for one, I'm definitely going to keep it going. So take care, guys. God bless and see you next time. Bye.